Well, it is that time of year. They say that between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the average American is going to gain about seven pounds. And I know there is in this place this morning some people who are above average. (laughs) This might help. I read that the average American eats 16 times their body weight in a given year. A horse eats eight times their body weight in a year. So this Christmas, I intend to eat like a horse. Now, I am told by those who keep tabs of such things that in our bookstores in this country, the two annual bestsellers are these, cookbooks and diet books. So evidently, what we really want to do is learn how to prepare delicious food and then learn how not to want to eat it. And I think in some ways, Christmas is often like that. It's something we crave and yet often wish we could avoid. There's something about Christmas we can't wait for and there's something we don't look forward to. Because sometimes, let's admit it, Christmas can be a beatdown. How many of us get tired some years of all the decorating? I know that all of us guys have had a time or two out there putting up those lights, wondering why we do this every year. We get fed up, kind of like a picture that a friend sent me recently of what one guy did. I think we've all been there, haven't we? And you ladies have it worse than we do, because you have to do all the decorating inside and all the cooking and all the plans for all the parties. One lady a few years ago wrote into Reader's Digest that she was getting ready for a big Christmas get-together of all the family members. And everybody was coming over and she was frantic because there was so much cleaning and so much cooking to do. And she had a four-year-old daughter. And so all day long she had been barking at her, pick up your room, don't get your toys out, don't make a mess. And it was about time for everyone to arrive. She said, go into the living room and just play with the wooden nativity set. Well, a few minutes later, she walked by that room and overheard her four-year-old daughter, who, in a voice that was clearly mimicking her mother's, said, I don't care who you are, get those camels out of my living room. (laughs) You see, the most wonderful time of the year is often the most stressful time of the year. Something seems to be missing And it's something you can't buy at a mall. Real joy. We sing tis the season to be jolly. But it doesn't seem many are. And so we're starting this series for three weeks. All I really want for Christmas. And what you really want and really need for Christmas. You can't get online. Especially joy. You see, there are two basic views about joy. The first view says joy is out there. See, most people believe that happiness is directly related to happenings. And both of those words come from the old English word hap, which means chance. And so most of us operate on the assumption that there is a chance I might be happy this Christmas, but there's a good chance I won't be because What needs to happen isn't in my control. You see, it's predicated on the presence of the right things. Boy, if I could just get a better house, if I could just get a better 
car, if I could just get a better job, then I would be happy. Or it depends on the desired behavior of others. You know, if my wife would just stop nagging, if my husband would grow up, you know, if my kids would just come home, if my kids would just leave home, then I would be happy. Or on the proper arrangement of circumstances. If I could just get a promotion. If my stocks will do better next year. If that CAT scan will come back clear. Then I will have a Merry Christmas. I call these people if only people. If only this will happen. If only you will start doing what I want you to do. If only this will work out. Then I'll be happy. You see, in this understanding, joy is determined by happenings outside of my control. And so there's only a chance I'll get to be happy. Judith Vjorst uh, captured this idea in a poem she wrote called If I Were in Charge of the World. And she sees it through the eyes of an eight-year-old boy. Listen, if I were in charge of the world, I'd cancel oatmeal Monday mornings allergy shots if i were in charge of the world there would be brighter night lights healthier hamsters and basketball baskets 48 inches lower if i were in charge of the world you wouldn't have lonely you wouldn't have clean you wouldn't have bedtimes or don't punch your sister you wouldn't even have sisters if i were in charge of the world a chocolate sundae with whipped cream and nuts would be a vegetable all 007 movies would be g And a person who sometimes forgot to brush and sometimes forgot to flush would still be allowed to be in charge of the world. You see, there's only one problem. When are you or I ever going to get to be in charge of the world? And so if this view is correct, very few people ever have a truly merry Christmas. But there is another view. A view that says joy is not out there, joy is In here. This second view says that joy is an internal reality that is independent of external factors. And you need to know that the second view is the view of the Bible. The Bible says that when we follow Jesus Christ and commit ourselves to walking in His steps, He gives us to help us walk in His steps, His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit starts to do a character work in us. And we begin to be transformed on the inside. And there begins to be produced in us fruit of the Spirit. Like peace and love and real joy. The kind of joy that is independent of what's going on out there. And so you read in verses like Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy And peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if this view is true, then joy can be anybody's reality because it's not dependent on things you can't control. And this was one of the first promises of Christmas. Remember again what the angel said to the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 10. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. Not just some of the people. Not just those few people that have everything working right right now. No, you see, real joy is a kind of joy that is dependent on the embracing of some good news about the coming of Jesus. What is this news? Well, at least three things we know. One, it means God is above us. And that is important because I don't see how you can have joy in a world with no meaning. If it is your personal worldview that we're all just cosmic accidents and that when we die, we are extinguished, we go back to dust, and it's over. I don't know how you find joy in the world. Although some would try to tell us it's possible. Did you read about the ad campaign in Washington, D.C. this month by the American Humanist Association? They're spending $40,000 to put signs on buses that say, Why believe in a God? Just be good for goodness sake. The problem is how do you determine what good is if there is no God? Who are you to sit up on the throne and tell me that you decide what good is? Or that I decide what bad is? There's no such thing as universal good or bad if naturalism is true. If there is no God, there is no standard for determining morality. There is no hope that someday there's going to be justice for all. There is no answer that gives life any meaning. See, that's what I would want to say to all the angry atheists who are writing popular books right now. You say you don't believe in God because there's so much evil in the world. Well, if you believe the universe is just an accident, where did you even get the idea that the world is not like it's supposed to be? You see, I believe we are divine image bearers. And intuitively, we understand this world is not like it ought to be. I read with some interest just recently... A journal article that's been published by a Dr. Justin Barrett. He's a senior researcher at the University of Oxford in England in the College of Anthropology. And what he's been doing for the last about 10 years is studying the belief systems of children. He has concluded that children are born believers. He writes... The preponderance of scientific evidence for the past 10 years or so has shown that a lot more seems to be built into the natural development of children's minds than we once thought, including a predisposition to see the natural world as designed and purposeful and that some kind of intelligent being is behind that purpose. In other words, he said, we asked all these six and seven-year-olds, why is there a bird or why is there a tree? And they always gave you an answer with a purpose behind it. That things are created for a reason. That things are not just random accidents. They did a very interesting study of 12-month-old babies. They would show them a film of a ball rolling across the floor. And it would go past a pile of of, uh, bricks. And when it would go past, the bricks would suddenly form into an ordered stack. And every time the babies would register surprise. Because intuitively, they know you don't get order out of random chaos. We are hardwired to believe that there's a purpose behind creation. That some things men can make, but some things someone else made. He concludes, children's normally and naturally developing minds make them prone to believe in divine creation and intelligent design. In contrast, evolution is unnatural 
for human minds relatively difficult to believe. You see, it starts here. Joy begins here with the conviction there is a God above us. And this God wants to be known. And that's good news because how would you know this God if he didn't want to be known? But this God wants to reveal himself. He wants to be known so much he put on flesh. And so the Bible says in John 1.18, no one's ever seen God. But God, the only son, is very close to the Father. And he has shown us what God is like. And so joy in a world I can't control begins with the conviction there is a God above me who can control this world and who is in charge. But it's not just that He's above me. It is knowing also that He is for me. We sing a song often during our communion times. Why did my Savior come to earth? Why would Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? And we sing the answer. Because he loved me so. It's the only explanation. It's the truth behind the most uh, well-known verse of the Bible. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christmas is God's announcement that he will not give up on us. You know, I, I can know... As I look at the majesty of the universe, that somebody made it, and whoever made it is powerful. I can know when I study the order and design of creation, that whoever made it is not just powerful, but he's wise. But how do I know if he's for me? When Joe Torrey became a manager... His buddy Phil Rizzuto, announcer for the Yankees, said, Joe, wouldn't it make more sense to be up in the press box where you can see the whole field and manage up here? And Tory responded, upstairs, you cannot look in their eyes. We couldn't know if God loved us if he stayed upstairs. And so he came down and he looked us in the eye. His power was so great he could come down. His love was so intense he would come down. And so the Bible says he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to become a man. He humbled himself to become a servant. He humbled himself to become a substitute. This is sin that man thought. He could take the place of God. And this is salvation. That God said, I must go and take the place of man. And so, we know John 3.16. But to really understand John 3.16, we have to remember 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life For us. God is not just above us. He's for us. That's why he went to a cross. Don't think nails kept Jesus on a cross. Love did. And when I live in a world. 
I can't control. When I live in a world where crazy things happen and everything is changing, it helps to know one thing doesn't change. The fact that I matter to God. I'm important to God. You are special to God. I find a kind of joy in knowing that, that circumstances doesn't affect. That there is a God in control and that He is for me. But you know what else? Christmas says this same God is with me and with you. That this God does not want to be known long distance. And since I couldn't enter into His world, He entered into our world. To the degree, and folks, I can't even wrap my mind around what I'm about to say, but God was so desperate to be with us, He was willing to get His diapers changed in a stable. Spend the rest of your life meditating on that and you'll never get it. The above us God in the Old Testament became the with us God in the New Testament. And so we remember the announcement of the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. It says, all of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through His prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. And he'll be called Emmanuel. Meaning, God is with us. See, it's not just saying God is real. We're saying God is real close. And why is that good news? Well, because it means that God understands my pain. That's one thing. Emmanuel means I've been there. And so when you're hurting and when you're lonely and when you feel betrayed or when you feel sad, you know that in heaven God understands. Because Jesus has experienced all of that too. And we're not saying that Christ has promised to remove all the pain we have in this world. But He has promised to enter into it with us and feel it with us. And I don't know about you, but that helps me. To know He is feeling and understanding what I'm hurting about. That's what it means God is with us. He's... He's been there. But it means more. It means He's on my side. It means God will never abandon me. That I'm never going to go through anything alone. I've always been touched by 2 Timothy. The last thing Paul ever wrote. And at the very end of the book, he talks about being before the judge. And we read in chapter 4, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one was with me. Everyone had abandoned me. Me And some of you know how that feels. But he says, I hope it will not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. And I don't know how he knew the Lord was with him. Maybe he had a dream or a vision. Maybe there was an unexpected answer to prayer or an acquaintance that the Lord sent to be with him or 
Maybe it was just the powerful, quiet, inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. All I know is that Paul said, in the moment where I thought I was most alone, I realized I wasn't. And I received power and strength because God was with me. Remember the last thing Jesus said to us as he ascended? He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I tell you why so many people at Christmas have no joy. They're scared. Fear says, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's next. I know I'm not in control. I don't know what's coming. Joy says, I know who has come. I know who is coming again. And I know who is with me right now. See, that's why I think Isaac Watts was a brilliant theologian when he penned the first line to the hymn we sang a moment ago. Joy to the world, the Lord. What's the next word, church? That's an important word. He didn't say the Lord has come. He didn't say the Lord will come. The Lord is come. And so the question is not, what do you want for Christmas? The question is, who do you want? Because if you get who is come you'll get what you need no matter what happens I've got to tell you one more story I have a friend named Cam Huxford Cam is minister at the Christian church in Savannah Georgia a great preacher and I had the privilege last year of hearing him at a conference and the year before he had been in India And he had met an amazing man. You've probably read in the papers recently, there's been some very severe persecution of Christians in India. Apparently, India is a wonderful, burgeoning democracy as long as you're a Hindu. And there was a man who left Hinduism, was converted to Christ, and so did his wife. And they started a church in a village. It was small at first, but it began to grow. And one day, some... Some Hindu thugs took that man and his wife and kidnapped them, took them out into the woods, tied him to a tree, and said, We will beat you with rods if you don't recant and return to your old gods. But he refused, even as they beat him. Frustrated that he would not recant, they told him, Either you recant or we will rape your wife in front of your eyes. And she screamed to him to not renounce Jesus even as they violated her. When she came to, she untied her husband. They went to the hospital to get treatment. Then they went to the police who refused to act or do anything. But the whole village knew. The next Sunday, he stood up bruised in his pulpit. And he preached about Jesus with his wife on the front row. 
You can't deny the power of a testimony like that. People began to visit their church. It's now a church with hundreds of members. And Cam told us that incredible story. But then he said, but now let me add something. I told that story a month ago and someone came and said, Cam, do you know the rest of the story? I was in India last month and I met the man. Since you were there, three of the men that attacked him and his wife have come to faith in Christ and attend this church. One of the men is now the lead youth worker in the church. In India, when a person converts to Christianity, they usually change their name and choose a Christian name. The evangelist I have spoken about has chosen the name Emmanuel. God is with us. Because joy doesn't come in a package. It never has, it never will. It comes in a presence. And that's what you need for Christmas. Now in a moment we're going to stand and worship the Lord. And as we do, there are three ways today you can respond. If you would like someone to pray with you, you can go to our chapel. We'll meet you there. If you'd like to be baptized into Jesus Christ, just come down to the front. We'll do it this morning. But we're going to do one more thing. You'll notice in your pews some cards that look like this. And you'll notice around the building on the communion tables, there's little boxes in front of crosses like the one on the stage. And what I'd like you to do, if you feel impressed by the Lord to do so, is to write a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, this Christmas, I would like to be an ambassador of joy. I need your joy because... And you write your prayer because the gift is always waiting under the tree. And bring it up to the cross. They're at the stations all around you. And place your prayer in there. And spend some time with the Lord. Would you stand up please? Let me begin our season of worship with prayer. Father, It is so easy to be seduced by the propaganda of the world that says I can't be happy unless people do what I want them to do and I have everything the way I want it to work. And that's, Father, a lie. It's never going to be that way. It wasn't that way for Jesus. And He's the one that we follow. What we want instead, Father, to do is be witnesses to the world. There is a joy that can't be conquered by circumstances or difficult people. It is real and it's lasting because it is from your Spirit. And so, God, fill us with your joy. Today we receive your gift and your spirit. We want to be your ambassadors of what real joy is. And so do business with God, Father. Do business with us as we do business with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go for prayer. You can come be baptized. Or you can bring your prayer to the cross as we worship the Lord.